You know, if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been talking about something called the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, if you're here for the very first time this morning, this subject we've been talking about comes from a, um, a letter that Paul wrote, a guy by the name of Paul in the New Testament. Uh, he was one of the leaders in the early church, and, and uh, he wrote a letter to a brand new church that was just kind of starting up and getting going, and they were in a place called Galatia. And uh, if you look through the New Testament, you'll find this book. It's called Galatians. And uh, they were dealing with some different problems, and he tried to address some of those issues. And then he kind of sums it up here in Galatians 5 and gives them like a little kind of package deal here of saying, hey, you know, we could, we could talk about each problem individually, but if you were to just focus on what I'm going to call the fruits of the Spirit, then that could be a real solution to all your problems. And the wonderful thing about when Paul would write to these churches and deal with specific issues that they were facing in their day and age, 2,000 years later, as human beings we find ourselves facing some of these same problems as well. So his advice to them is just as applicable to us today. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at these amazing different fruits of the Spirit. Here they are, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The Holy Spirit, so God through the Holy Spirit, um, produces in us this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can tap into the creator of the universe, God himself, and he wants to give us, through his Holy Spirit, these fruits in our life, these wonderful um, personality traits, these wonderful attributes that would help us live better lives, be better people to be around, be better husbands and wives and employees and students in school. And throughout this series, it's been really good because we've looked at each fruit each week. And to be honest with you, I feel like we could have done a whole series on some of them. More than just one week wasn't enough. So we've just scratched the surface on some of them. But um, we've had a few guest speakers in this series. So what I did early on was when I contacted them, I said, here are the fruits. You get first choice. So they chose some of, the, some of the really good, exciting ones. So I was left with what was left, and uh, uh, one of the ones I was left with was gentleness. Like, gentleness? Well, that sounds a bit boring. Um, but to be honest, after studying it and preparing for this message, I actually think this is one of the ones I would have chosen, because it's a really great fruit to focus in on. So what is gentleness? Why do we need it? It just doesn't really sound very exciting or manly, does it? Gentleness? Come on. But actually, you're going to learn this morning that gentleness is a really important attribute, a great fruit of the Spirit. And when you fully understand what it means, I think you're going to leave today thinking, wow, that's, that's a really great thing to be aware of. But as you came in this morning, you probably had a frame of mind as to what gentle meant, as to where gentle would uh, show up in your conversations. And if you're a parent here this morning, and you've had one child, and then shortly after, you have another child, you're very familiar with the words gentle. <laughs> Last week, I was looking, and uh, we've got a lovely family here at Connect, and uh, they have two young daughters, and uh, they've just had another baby. 
And you can tell these daughters are so excited. I've seen them in dresses that say big sister. One of them's got a big sister hat. And I'm guessing that for that family, like maybe some of you this morning, the words gentle has showed up quite a lot with those loving big sisters. Because all they want to do is kiss them and hug them and love them and squeeze them. (laughs) But the challenge is that sometimes kids aren't great at being gentle. Check out this video. Mm-mm. We don't do that. Put it down, please. We don't do that. Some parents and some grandparents now thinking, if that's how they are with cats and birds, we can never let them touch the baby again. <laughs> and we say, it's such a lot, gentle, gentle, be careful, be gentle. But the reality is there's so much more to this word I discovered as I started to study it. And it's a very important attribute for us to seek after. Listen to what Jesus had to say about being gentle. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the gentle. You may have heard it in other translations, blessed are the meek. But in some translations, it says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is saying here, not only does God bless people who are gentle, there's a promise here too. The whole earth will belong to them. That just sounds pretty extreme, almost a little far-fetched. But that's what Jesus himself said. And I have to believe that in Jesus' time, this was kind of countercultural, this idea. I know it is today, because the reality is, in today's world, if you want the whole world, you're going to have to get aggressive. You're going to have to fight for it, fight hard, work hard, be willing to step on people in your climb to the top. But Jesus said, no, the key The key to success, the key to inheriting the whole world is to be gentle. That's where true power can be found. And today, as we fully start to understand what gentleness actually is, you're going to realize that Jesus was onto something, that he understood what true power looks like in the form of gentleness. Because you see, the Greek words, Jesus would have spoken Greek at the time. The people in this area spoke Greek. And the Greek word for gentleness was a word called prautes, P-R-A-U-T-E-S. That was the Greek word. And not only did it mean um, gentle, not only did it mean meek, it also meant really literally strength under control. That's the purest meaning of the word that we read in our Bibles, gentleness. It's strength, power, but it's under control. My wife and I, Casey, we've been married uh, over 25 years now. And very early on in our marriage, we hadn't even had kids at this point, uh, we went on a vacation back to England and we uh, stayed with my parents. And while we were there, we decided to go to this coastal town on the south of England called Swanage. Uh, it's a place I'd gone a lot as a kid growing up, had a lot of great family memories there. So Casey and I, my sister and her husband, my mum and dad, we went and spent three or four days down in Swanage. And 
Uh, this was early in our marriage, so Casey was still in, under the misunderstanding that a vacation was something you did to relax and rest. And I'm like, no, don't be silly. On a vacation, you try to do as much as possible and see as much as possible. So when we arrived in Swanage, we're looking up all the things in the area to see and do. And um, I discovered that there was an opportunity uh, to pay and go horse riding along the beach. And I'm thinking, that would be so cool. So I talked to Casey, and uh, me and Casey and my sister, we all decided to sign up uh, to go horse riding. And I'm, I, you know, you've seen it in movies, these horses just, you know, I pictured ours would also be in slow motion, you know, with just water splashing up. And I was like, this is going to be the most amazing experience. Never done anything like this. So we arrive at these stables, and there are all sorts of forms to fill out. And we came to that inevitable point uh, in the meeting when the, the lady checking us in said, and how experienced are you? I'm like, man, I've got to be really careful how I ask this. Because if I say we're not very, here's the thing, before I say that, I had this expectation of what was going to happen. This was what I was dreaming was going to happen. <laughs> I wanted this. But I knew if I acknowledged that really I had no experience at all, this is what I was going to end up with. <laughs> I didn't want this. <laughs> I wanted the first one. So I, I stretched the truth just a little bit. When I was a kid, I'd ridden a horse once or twice. Uh, Casey, when she was younger, her family owned a horse. Now, her horse that she, her family owned was like 30 years old or something. I mean, it was a very slow, old horse. So I said, we're both pretty experienced. <laughs> so they're like, great. And I see her check this box. I don't know what the box is. She checks, but they send us out, and they put us on these horses. And it's great. There's about 10 of us. We go in single file through the woods because this stable was kind of inland a little bit and everything, it was, it was everything I pictured it would be. We're just enjoying this beautiful English countryside and we're, you know, cases in front of me, some others are behind me and we're just having a good old time. And then we get to the beach and we kind of trot out onto the beach and then we kind of turn parallel to the ocean and the first lady in charge, she kind of does this with her horse and all of them, all of them take off. And straight away, I realized I have no experience whatsoever. I am terrified. I mean, I am holding onto this horse's neck for dear life. I'm just like, I mean, it felt like for 10 minutes, someone had a shovel just smashing my backside. I mean, that's how it felt, banging up and down on this horse. It was the most painful experience ever. But I'm just terrified I'm going down the ocean. See, I'm not, that picture, nothing like that. It's total fear as I'm going. But then, out of the corner of my eye, I see, and I look, and there's Casey. She's overtaking. She looks even more terrified than I am. She's, I mean, she's gripping the saddle. She's got her hands and arms under the saddle. She is holding on for dear life. She has just enough strength to turn her head to look at me with hate-filled eyes. <laughs> what have you done? But the best part was, I mean, her horse, I mean, it's overtaking all of us. The lady in front, now she's up with the lady in front, overtaking, and the lady in front's going, ma'am, ma'am, you, you need to drop back. And you can tell Casey's like, I would love to drop back. I have no control of this horse. I mean, we went like this for a good five minutes down the beach. It's a miracle that none of us fell off. We got to the end, we slowed down, and then we walked slowly back. Um, I stayed as far away from Casey as I could for the remainder of the trip. What we found out, what we found out when we go back to the stables, Casey's horse, Rusty, dear old Rusty, <laughs> Rusty was a retired racehorse. <laughs> and I got a feeling that Rusty only was allowed to go out with the experienced riders. <laughs> so Rusty 
Like any time horses are running, inbuilt into Rusty's head is, I've got to get to the front. That's all I've done all my life is be the fastest horse I can be. So poor old Casey got stuck on Rusty. Why do I tell that story? Because the Greek word proutes, remember that? It was about 15 minutes ago. The Greek word <laughs> proutes, it was often used to describe a wild stallion that has been tamed. Rusty was not proudest. <laughs> he was out of control. But in Jesus' time, when, when people heard the word, they didn't hear gentle. They heard this word proudest. And what they thought of was a wild stallion that had been tamed. If you went out to the fields or the hills in Jesus' time, you could see these wild horses. They were strong, unbridled. They had such huge strength. One kick could kill you. But if you bring that stallion back and you tame it, then all of that strength in that horse is brought under control. The strength is now captured for the master's use. And it's useful. This horse now has purpose. But here's the thing. A tamed horse is no less strong. It's not like you're taking the strength out of the horse. It has just as much strength, just as much power. It's just now it is controlled by the master. And a proudest horse is a meek horse, a gentle horse. It is a horse that has all of that strength under control. And this is the fruit that Paul wants to see grow in our lives. All of the strength and the power that you and I have, all of the strength and the power that as followers of Jesus we can find in God himself, he wants it submitted to the master, to him, to be strength under control. This is what gentleness looks like. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you figure that out, you can inherit the whole earth. If you can get that strength under control, if you can master that, the world is yours. So I want to get real practical with you here this morning. Uh, I want to kind of look at three ways in which we can see gentleness play out in our lives. Three areas where I think you'll see that gentleness can actually change the world you live in. It can change you from the inside out, but it can impact your relationships, your community, your workspace. The first is that gentleness deflects anger. Gentleness deflects anger. I'd love to say that gentleness diffuses anger, but sadly, when it comes to relationships and anger, we only have control of our own emotions and our own lives. We can't control the other person, but what we can do is we can see gentleness deflecting anger. Have you ever noticed how easily we end up mimicking the emotions of those around us? You spend any amount of time, you have a conversation with someone who's just kind of a little bit depressed, depressing, you know, they're like kind of an Eeyore personality and they're like, oh, it's been a terrible week and this went wrong and I'm fed up with the weather and this never works out. It, it doesn't take long before you're like, oh, I feel miserable right now. Conversely, you meet somebody who is upbeat and energetic and excited and they're like, I've had such a great week and this has been great and this good thing's happening and they're waving their arms and telling you, you don't stand stoic listening to that person. As you're listening, you're like, you're just getting more and more excited talking to this person because they're excited. That's because um, we understand our brains more and uh, brains, people who study brains, they've, they've discovered that we have inside our brain these things called mirror neurons. 
Inside each and every one of our brains this morning are these mirror neurons. It's what allows you to sympathize and mirror back what the other person is thinking. Now, I think my mirror neurons are a little bit out of control because uh, my family teased me about this. Sometimes when they're having a conversation with me, as I'm, talk, as I'm listening, I start to mouth the words that they're saying. I, my mouth starts moving. Just yesterday in Walmart, I was with Emma, my daughter, and she's like, Dad, why do you do that? I was like, what? She goes, I'm talking to you, and you're literally like... And I just... It's <laughs> I get so engaged in the conversation. I said, Emma, it's my mirror neurons. I've just learned about it this week. She wasn't impressed. But uh, <laughs> mirror neurons are great, but you know when they're not great? When you find yourself in the presence of somebody who's angry. Because then they kick in, don't they? Someone's angry, they raise your voice. What do you do? You raise yours a little higher. Well, then they raise theirs just a little bit higher. And you raise yours. And before you know it, things are getting out of control. Out of control. Your emotions are out of control. What is gentleness? It's strength under control. Solomon was one of the wisest people who ever lived. And listen to what he says in Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer deflects anger. A gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. So true, isn't it? A gentle answer deflects anger. Let me give you a little tip here. This morning I learned um, that you can use in your marriage, in your friendships, at school, at college, when you're interacting uh, with others based on these words found in Proverbs. When other people raise their voice, you lower yours. When other people raise their voice, you lower yours. And this is a great thing to do because instinctively, you don't want to do that. Your mirror neurons are kicking in. You want to go over and above. You want to raise yours. But the reality is if you can remain calm, gentle, lower your voice when theirs is raised, do you know what that is? That's strength under control. That's gentleness. That's why Paul says this is a great fruit for us as followers of Jesus to aspire to have in our lives, to want to see grow in our lives. You can even exercise gentleness at work. Listen to what the author of Proverbs, Solomon again, he says in another book he wrote called Ecclesiastes. This is crazy. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 4. If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Maybe there's someone here this morning who needs to hear that after the week you've had. If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. You don't know what's going on in your boss's life. He could have had a bad week. Um, she could have just got uh, into an argument with another one of the employees and she's taking it out on you. Their, their Starbucks order that morning could have been wrong. 20 minutes from the store before they realized they got the wrong drink and their day is just off. They're mad and they take it out on you. In that moment, you get to decide how you want to respond. If your boss is angry, don't quit. A quiet, a gentle spirit can overcome great mistakes. Do you know, as well as gentleness deflecting anger, here's another great um, challenge, another great idea that you can kind of um, use in your lives. Gentleness confuses your enemies. Gentleness confuses your enemies. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, 
I know many of you are, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, your beliefs based on the teachings of Jesus, they will put you at odds with some people in your life, maybe family members, maybe people in your community, whoever it might be, but because of your desire to follow Jesus, some of what you now believe puts you at odds with some people who don't have those same values and beliefs. And for the most part, we live in a world where our desire is that um, we, can, we can get along with people who don't think the same way as us. We can have respect for one another and understand that some people think differently, and that's okay. But the reality is, not everyone's wired that way, are they? Not everyone is willing to just sit back and say, well, that's what you believe, that's fine, this is what I believe. You see, there are some people who just always seem to be angry. They always seem to be looking for a fight. I think there are some people, you know, who are addicted to anger. And in reality, it's because it's the only way they feel emotion. Sometimes the only way these people feel alive is to get mad at somebody. It seems that they're always looking for a fight. Do you know anyone like that? Don't look at them right now, but just <laughs> gently squeeze their leg. The reality is, sadly, that there are some Jesus followers who can be a little bit like that. And next week, another fruit I get to talk about is self-control. So we'll talk a little bit about that next week when we cover self-control. But some, some of these folks who, who get angry, who are kind of looking for that fight, they're not Jesus followers. And they know you are, and they're angry. And they're looking for a fight. And oftentimes they choose the biggest boxing ring or cage arena we can think of. It's called Facebook. Let me tell you, I've never seen a good fight or a fair fight or even a fight with a clear winner on social media. But even outside of social media, we can engage with people who, who, are, who are angry, who want to push our buttons, who want to argue with us, who want to debate with us. So what do we do in that moment in light of what Paul says about gentleness? The answer can be found in another letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 4.13. When we are slandered, we respond gently. When we are slandered, we respond gently. When evil things are said about us or to us, we have a choice in that moment to respond gently. And why would we do that? Because gentleness confuses our enemies. It takes the wind out of their sails. They're not looking for a gentle response. They're looking for a fight. They're looking for an argument. They're looking for a debate. And when we respond gently, it takes all of that wind out of their sails. Listen to what Paul said in another letter he wrote to a, a church leader by the name of Titus. In Titus 2.8, your conversation should be so sensible and logical that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed of himself because there won't be anything to criticize in anything you say. We make this choice to be sensible, to be sensitive, to be gentle so that anyone who wants to argue with us will find themselves ashamed. Because here's, here's what I've learned. If someone hurts you, it puts them below you. But if you say something hurtful back, it makes you even. <laughs> if you respond gently, in other words, if you don't retaliate, in this situation, I believe it puts you above them. It puts you in a morally superior place because you choose the gentle response 
instead of to fight back. It's strength under control. That's what Jesus says will help us inherit the whole earth. That's why Paul says this is a fruit that we should aspire to have. It's, it's gentleness. It's strength under control. It confuses our enemies. Did you know that as a pastor, the Bible clearly instructs me that I'm not to get into arguments? That I shouldn't engage in quarrels, debates, arguments. It says I should never get caught in heated arguments, but instead, I'm to be gentle. Here's where we find that. It's in 2 Timothy 2, 24 verse through 25. And we're going to kind of go through this really carefully because I want you to see that what Paul was saying to Timothy, but how I as a pastor of a church know he's also speaking to me because he starts out by saying, a servant of the Lord. So that's Timothy he's speaking to is a servant of the Lord. And that was the terminology back then for a church leader. Timothy was a church leader. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, the church leader. He's saying, Timothy, as a servant of the Lord... You must not quarrel. That's pretty clear. It's not like you must not always quarrel or you must be careful who you quarrel with or only quarrel sometimes. It's, it's just pretty black and white. So I'm reading this now as, uh, as the Timothy in this context and God's saying to me, as a servant of the Lord, as a pastor, you must not quarrel. But instead, Dave, you must be kind and gentle to everyone who believes the same things you believe. That's not what it says, is it? <laughs> I wish it said that. That would just be so much easier. Dave, you must be kind and gentle to everyone who is also a follower of Jesus. But anyone else, you let them know. It doesn't. It just says you must be kind and gentle to everyone. No matter who they are, what they believe, if they have the same values and beliefs as I do or not whether they're atheists, people who might vote differently than me, people who might look differently than me. It says, I'm to avoid quarreling and to be kind and gentle to everyone. To be able to teach, that's my role as pastor, and be patient with difficult people, that's you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're all lovely people, not a difficult person in the room. And here's that word again. Gently instruct. I love this. I love this idea of, of, of bringing this, this, this attribute, this, this personality trait of gentleness. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. So I can engage with people who think differently than me. In fact, Paul's encouraging that. You should have relationships with people who don't believe in Jesus, with people who don't look like you, think like you, uh, have the same beliefs, values, as morals as you. You could have relationships with these people. But Dave, as a pastor, you're not to argue and quarrel with these people, but instead gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And this next verse is wonderful because it gives you the, uh, the why he's commanding us, why he's challenging us to do this. Because perhaps, verse 25, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. I am to gently instruct. That's such, I, I think if Paul was here today in person, He'd be standing going, Dave, that's right. That's exactly what I said to Timothy. That was exactly the, the counsel, the instruction I was given to church leaders in that day. But you know what? It wasn't just for church leaders. 
I think every follower of Jesus would do well to follow this advice. That when faced with an enemy, somebody who thinks differently than you, believes differently than you, has different values, doesn't believe in God maybe, when you're faced with that person, instead of quarreling with them, be kind and gentle. Gently instruct those opposite to the truth. It's like Paul has given us this, this formula. He says, because what you'll see is that quarreling isn't going to bring that person close to God. Quarreling, if anything, is probably going to drive them further away. But when you're kind and gentle and you gently instruct them, they will come to their senses. God will change those people's hearts. That's huge. So as a pastor, I, I try really hard to, to hear and believe and act upon those words. And I think Paul would say, all of us here this morning, it would be great counsel to follow. You know, the third and final thing this morning as to why we should strive to let the fruit of gentleness grow in our lives and I've left this one till last, but the reality is this probably should have been the top of the list. It's so that we can become more like Jesus. To become more like Jesus. Do you know, when I was studying for this message, I discovered that there are only two people throughout all of Scripture who were specifically um, said to be gentle. It was described of these people that they were gentle. One was Moses and one was Jesus. Now, the crazy thing is, Moses, if you read the story of his life, we're actually gonna talk about Moses later this year. If you read the story of Moses' life, he really was a bit of a loose cannon. There were some times where he lost his temper, he did things wrong. But overall, Moses kept submitting himself to God. Kept saying, God, you are in control of my life. I want you to use my life. And there's, there's a verse in, um, I think it's Exodus, speaking of Moses, and, uh, or maybe Genesis, and it says he was a, a meek and gentle man. But the other person who is spoken of as being a, a gentle person is Jesus himself. And it was self-described. Jesus explained how gentle he was. Listen to what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, in Bible times, a yoke was a, a farming instrument. It was the, uh, the, the thing that they would put over the horse or the ox's neck that was pulling something. So if that animal was pulling a very heavy load or a cart or a plow, whatever it may be, that yoke would be very heavy. But sometimes, maybe what they were pulling wasn't too heavy, so that yoke felt light. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle. Gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus was gentle. And we see this in him because there probably has never, ever been another human being to live who has had access to more power than Jesus. At the point of his crucifixion, he literally could have called upon heaven and God would have sent legions, armies of angels to destroy all of his enemies. 
But Jesus knew God's plan. Jesus knew that he had to die. He had to, to raise from, he had to rise again from the dead because it was the only way that you and I, through his sacrifice, can have a relationship with God. So all that power, all that strength, Jesus kept under control. He was the greatest example of somebody who understood and lived out gentleness. And if we really want to experience that same kind of gentleness in our lives, we need to press into Jesus. We need to press into Jesus. If you were here last week, you'd have heard a good friend of mine named Jason, and he was talking about peace, and it was a brilliant message. And if you weren't here, I'd, I'd challenge you to get online and, and listen to it, because it was a really great teaching on the idea of peace. And I think every one of us could probably benefit from learning uh, more about peace with the anxieties and the stress and the worries that are in our lives. But in his message, one of the points he said was, he, he, he said, I believe you can only find true peace in Jesus. So therefore, the closer you get to Jesus, the more peace you will find. I think that's the tr same truth here in gentleness. Jesus was humble and gentle of heart. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more gentle we become, the more that strength comes under control. And I like, I don't know about you, but I like the sound of that as well. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Some of us, the reason gentleness is a little bit out of control in our lives is because we're weary. We carry heavy burdens. We're going through stressful situations in our lives. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy to bear. If you draw close to me, I want to bring you to a place where, where you will still go through life. You'll still face these situations, but you'll face them hand in hand with me. I will help you through these difficult times in your life. And as you draw close to me, you'll discover what gentleness really looks like. And, and we can then take that gentleness out into the world in our interactions with one another. We're in our interactions with people who, who are looking for a fight, looking to, to argue and quarrel with us. We can choose gentleness and through Jesus, we can change the world in which we live. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that as we read this scripture about the fruits of the Spirit, we could spend hours and days and weeks focusing on each individual fruit and saying, God, I want more of that in my life. That, that fruit, God, I see some evidence of it, but it's very small. It needs to grow. It needs to develop. And God, gentleness, I'm sure because I know it's the case for me, for many of us here this morning, it's a fruit of the Spirit that I would like to see grow in my life. Because it's not about just being soft and about you know, being calm and, and meek. It's about having strength and power, but having strength and power under control. And God, in my relationships with others, my relationship with you, my relationship with my family, Lord, I want people to, to say of me that I have a gentle spirit, that that strength is under control. I want to see the difference gentleness can make in my life as it diffuses conflict, as it deflects anger, as it confuses my enemies. Help me, Lord, to exhibit more gentleness in my life. And I pray for everyone here too, those who are looking to, to see more gentleness in their life, that even this week, they will just be aware of this attribute and, and see opportunities in their life that this might be one of those moments where I do something, but, but I'm gonna do it differently because I know that God wants to see the fruit of gentleness, that fruit of the Spirit grow in my life. Help us, Lord. We can't do this without you.
So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name.